part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Let's open our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going verse by verse through 1 Peter. And I almost didn't want to tackle this this week because there's a lot there and I knew that we wouldn't have a lot of time. So we're going to split... Uh, this next little section of Peter up into two parts. This morning we're going to cover kind of the, the, the practical part. And next week look at more of the theological. But here's the thing about theology and practice, okay? You can never separate the one from the, the other, okay? Good practice always comes from good theology. Good theology drives us into good practice. So when we talk about things that are practical in our life, it is built upon something that is a theological truth. And so we can't really separate the two, but we can look at them in two different ways. And so this week we're going to look at this first part about what does this mean that Christ is the cornerstone? See, the basic thing is, guys, all of us are going to build our lives on something. How many of y'all watch HGTV? Okay, and you're familiar with some of these people up here. You know, that's 90% of our TV watching in our house is it's on that channel, okay? And some of the and we realize that it's the same show just with different people, you know, because all they do is rotate and they use the same format, and yet we watch, you know, practically almost every single day at least some aspect of that. And one of the things that you learn really quickly if you've ever watched any of these shows is it's never as easy as it looks on TV. Amen. Yeah, if you've ever tried to go, well, we'll just take that wall out. We like open concept. Okay, so that's the first thing, and that uh, knowing a little about something is very, very dangerous. Would you agree there? Because you really do see, show that next slide. You know, you really do, you know, there's some people that they watch that show, and they're going, you know, this would be such a bigger room if we would take out that wall between the kitchen and the living room. And I I really like that. And so, honey, I can help you out with that. And so he goes in there, and he starts slamming away not understanding the full concept, is this a load-bearing wall? Okay? Because you know, there's this little thing in, you know, I'm not a builder, I don't know a lot about building, but if you take out a wall that is a load-bearing wall, guess what happens? It's called load-bearing for a reason. There, there's, there's something really important about load-bearing, and you take that out and it's no longer bearing the load. And guess what happens? It can start to sag over time or in some situations, and there was a situation in the story, not, uh, in the news not too long ago, where a guy did this, well-meaning. Honey, I'll, I'll do that. And he gets out there and starts slamming that down, and all of a sudden they come in there, they hear this big crash in the middle of the night, the whole kind of roof and, and internal system of their house caved in. It's gone, you know. It's not as easy as it looks on TV. You've got to be careful. You've got to, a little knowledge can be dangerous. This morning we're going to talk about the cornerstone. Or Peter talks about this cornerstone and how it really bears Christ. And he is this, this cornerstone. We're going to talk about what that meant and how it bears everything. It carries all the weight of our faith. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Paul said, you take that out. You take the gospel out. You take Christ out. We have nothing left to preach. That's all we can preach is Christ. So that's why week after week after week, even though we go verse by verse, we look at Old Testament, we look at New Testament, what is always the center of every teaching? I mean, there's times when I'm studying, I'm going, man, I've said that like 52 straight weeks. And God says, yes, because that's the message. 
If it's not me, there is no value in me just preaching a moral message to you. There is no value. Now, in Christ, we're going to find out that there is a morality. Just two weeks ago, Paul said, I want you to be holy. I I mean, Peter said, you know, he's quoting God and he said, I want you to be holy as I'm holy. It doesn't mean that Christianity is void of morality, but it's not. The point isn't morality. The point is Christ. And what we, what the New Testament writers really want us to learn is that without Christ, all the morality in the world would not get you the right relationship with God. And that's really hard. That's probably one of the hardest human concepts for you and I to really digest. Because in our mind, it's just natural. It's part of our natural, as much as it is breathing, that good people should get rewarded and bad people should get punished. And so then, if we kind of have that mindset, then we have to figure out, okay, what do I have to do to be good, or at least good enough to get rewarded and not bad enough to get punished? And there's a lot of people that will live their entire life with some kind of structure in their mind of what is good and what is bad, how good they are or how bad they are. And yet the gospel says, and look, there's only one that was good. If you have to build your hope on how good you were this past week, as we say almost every week, sure, you can find some people out there going, well, I'm at least better than them. But I promise you, there were a lot of people that were better than you. And so where's our hope? That's why the Bible's always going to drive us back to this one hope, the only hope, as Peter would say today, the cornerstone. But that was not original with Peter. He's actually borrowing from the Old Testament because it was prophesied that when this Messiah would come, that this Messiah would be the cornerstone. Look what Peter says, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 6. He's quoting from the Old Testament. He says, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. What does that mean? Will not be put to shame. Have you ever done something shameful? The human response, not your response, the human response, yes. And before a holy God, would, I mean, think about it. Are there things in your life that if we truly had to answer for every single thing, if it was really all riding on our shoulders and our goodness, can you imagine standing before a holy God one day with some of the things that you've done? You're going, man, can I take out the years 13 through 17? I would go, can I take out the years 1 through 56? Because there's some things, you know, there's days that they're glorious. There's, there's days that you get to baptize a family and you're going, hey, this was a good day. And then there's other days you're going, how could I even imagine that I did that? Why did that thought even come across that mind? And much more, how did I, why did I act upon that thought? How did I let that go from a seed to an activity in my life? So here he says, look, your only hope is this cornerstone. And in this cornerstone, there, there won't be shame. And this is the hope of the gospel. And so from Isaiah 28, Peter is looking back and he says, I want you to know, remember he's writing to Christians or non-Christians? Christians. He's writing to these churches throughout Asia Minor. And he's writing, this is one of those letters that's going to go to a lot of different churches. It's not just Ephesians. It's not just Colossians. It's going to be a, a, a letter, a circular letter that goes around. And so as he's writing to these Christians, were these Christians, was their background Jewish 
are Gentile. Gentile. Okay. And we're really going to see that next week. I haven't really pronounced that really loud in the last four or five or six weeks, so that's okay that you didn't know that. I won't be too embarrassed. But it's one of those things, we will really see that next week, that he's talking to Gentiles, and one of the things that Peter is doing, almost with every word, whether you just uh, kind of concern it or not, is he's inviting these Gentile believers into a bigger family. Because if you're a Gentile and you know that God is the God of the Jews, they're going, okay, I kind of feel like an outsider. And I'm coming in late in the game. I didn't believe, I wasn't part of God's chosen people, the Jewish people. But thank you that you opened the door and let me to come in. Okay, I kind of married in. I kind of came in. And what Peter's trying to do time after time throughout all this wording and say, look, guys, when, when Christ brings you in, you get the whole heritage. You are God's people. And that's what we're going to see next week. You are a royal priesthood. Priesthood meant a whole bunch to the Jewish people. And he invites him, he says, look, even though you're Gentile, now that you know Christ, you are a royal priest. This is who you are now. And this heritage. So he's inviting them in, he's showing this, and he comes back and he says, okay, you're the cornerstone. Now what is a cornerstone? Cornerstone, when they would build really big buildings like the temple and different things, was this big block, usually it was in the corner, that's the name, Cornerstone. But it didn't always have to be in the corner, but most of the time it was in the corner. And usually it was at the foundation, even though it doesn't have to be at the foundation. But for the most part, it was always in the corner, and it was the foundation, because it was, this purpose was to do two things. Number one, foundationally, that it would kind of set the, the security of the whole building. So it would kind of set the, the foundation, but it also set the direction. It was usually a really big stone so that it wouldn't just kind of get moved by other movements. Really heavy. So you couldn't just go up there by mistake and kind of tip it and go all of a sudden move that and they think that that's the new direction of the thing. No, it was so big that it, one person, even maybe many people, couldn't come up and kind of push it off. So once they got it set they could build the whole rest of the foundation, the whole rest of the building, because that was the marker. Now think about that. We won't get into it a whole bunch until next week. Theologically, is that who Christ is? That God sets in place this one marker, and it is truly caring. It gives us both the foundation of our life and the direction of our life. Because we're going to see some wording next week. He says, okay, look, God is building something on this. And you and I are bricks in this building. Paul used that illustration. Peter uses that illustration. But he wants us to know, he said, look, God is building this building, this family of God. But I want you to know that Christ is the cornerstone. He sets the foundation and he sets the direction. Bottom line from the practical. Get into the theological more next week. The practical. Every one of us in here, Everybody driving up and down the street, every one of your neighbors, every one of your family members, everybody in the entire world will build something of their life. And they will build it on something. It doesn't have to be evil. Is family good? Is family good? Depends. Is marriage good? I don't know. You should have asked me yesterday. You know, you know, I know that's a loaded question on certain mornings, okay? But family, marriage, that's good. God actually placed the home as the center of all 
you know, human activity. This is the foundation, okay? Can we make family so important that we actually make an idol out of family? You really can. Now, it's odd for us, but if we put every bit of our hope on family, family is a great thing. It is an ordained thing. It is a thing established by God. Adam and Eve didn't say, I think we need to get hitched. People are talking. Nobody was talking because there wasn't anybody else. God's the one that said, okay, Adam, here's the wife that I created you. And here's this thing called marriage that I'm going to create. It's from my own heart. Adam didn't go, you know, shouldn't we make this legal? Shouldn't we kind of do Adam has no concept, and it is God that gives the gift of marriage to Adam and Eve and says, okay, this is a beautiful thing. You're going to be helpmates one to another. And God ordains it, he blesses it, and he uses it as the foundation of all human activity. And yet, as good as that is, as godly as that is, that is not our hope for eternity. God didn't say, okay, by the measure of your family... And your happiness with your family is going to be whether you go to heaven or not, whether you are right with a holy God or not. And aren't there moments that you're glad that that's not the foundation of all things? I mean, I love my family. I love my family. But I'm so glad my performance as a husband, my performance as a son, and my performance as a father, and hopefully in a couple of months my performance as a granddad. But I'm going to be a great granddad. But it's going to be one of those... I'm so glad that my rightness with God isn't conditional upon even some of these wonderful, wonderful relationships that I get to have, these wonderful responsibilities. So even something good. Now, certainly we can build upon uh, our lives upon riches. How much can we acquire? We, we can do it on fame and fortune. You know, the fame part, I just want to be known. We can build it on all kinds of different things. Some we could really argue about, well, that's not valid whatsoever. Others we can say, well, it's a good thing, but taken to the extreme, it can be a bad thing. Bottom line is, Peter makes it very well known. Look, everybody's going to be a builder. And guys, what you build your life upon is going to have to be the security that you have one day when you stand before God. And so he establishes this concept of a cornerstone. And he borrows it from the Old Testament. Paul, I don't know, Paul and Peter would have been contemporaries. We both, we believe by human uh, tradition and by history, what we can gather from history books, that more than likely they probably died within a year, year and a half from each other. So they were contemporaries. They were aware of one another. They were doing ministry together. They were at councils together. And we don't have all the dates. We don't say, okay, Paul died March 12th this year. We don't have a date that says, okay, on November 13th, Peter died. We just know that they were both there in about 64, 65, 66 AD, somewhere around there. Both of them are martyrs for the cause of Christ. So we don't know how much Peter kind of borrowed from Paul, Paul borrowed from Peter. We just know that they're talking the same language. And this cornerstone concept comes out in both of the writings. Look what it says in verse 7 and 8. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Here's the friction of the gospel. For people who said, you know, I just, want, I just like preachers to preach love all the time. I don't think we should bring up really hard subjects. Well, the Bible brings up hard subjects all the time. Always does it in a loving way. Always brings. But folks, the gospel is frictional. 
we would love in our minds, well, can't just everybody along with dogs go to heaven? Can't can just everybody go? Can't we just kind of have a theology? Can't we have a God that is so loving? Well, he is that loving. But he's also a God of wrath. That there is sin and there is a penalty for sin. And yet he loves us so much that he was sent a Savior so that we don't have to suffer that our own, we don't have to pay that ourselves. You know, God has given us good news, but folks, to think that the, the gospel doesn't have friction, and here's part of that friction. He said those that reject, there's some of the people that look at this cornerstone, and, and they know that they should build their life upon Jesus Christ, but they reject it. And the Jewish people themselves, he's writing to Gentiles here, but the Jewish people themselves are the ones that were probably the most famous that rejected Christ as a cornerstone. And it was prophesied in the Old Testament. It said, look, when this Messiah comes, you're going to want this kind of Messiah, but he's actually going to be this kind of Messiah. And it happened. The Jews looked for a warrior. Okay, we want the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and we want him to be big, look like the Hulk, and get the Romans out of here. And he ends up being a carpenter for Nazareth. And they say, nothing good comes out of Nazareth. This is the last guy that could be the Messiah. And yet he was the Messiah. He was God's choice. That's what it means about this rejecting the cornerstone. That the Jewish people did, they did not see Christ as the Savior of the world. Many of them didn't. Not all Jews, but, but many of them didn't. And for the most part, his own people reject him as God's answer as the Messiah. And Peter's here saying, look... He's a stumbling block to many people. Would you say that even in this day, 2,000 years later, that Jesus Christ, Savior of the world, is still a stumbling block to some people? Yeah. And we could have, if, we, if we're able to discourse back and forth, if we were sitting around in the living room, we could actually give a lot of different occasions, and maybe even people that you know, maybe even a time in your own life when you're going, man, I, he was a stumbling block to me. I don't see this. I was talking to somebody yesterday about grace. Do you understand how much tension there is in grace? I mean, is grace a good thing? Yes. Is there tension in grace? There is, because the pastor just said it. Okay, there's incredible. Okay, let me show you the tension in grace. Now, when grace is coming to us, when we did something bad, it's a wonderful thing. But somebody offend you, and then we're supposed to show grace? There's tension. Not, not trying to be silly whatsoever. You, do, you sit down and do counseling and, with a marriage where there's been an affair. And, and the one who's the offender in that, the one who betrayed that covenant of marriage, says, I, I've asked God to forgive me and I, and I truly have come and I've, uh, he's forgiven me. He's given me grace. I believe that with all my heart. I believe that God washes away every sin. But now I've got to see that other partner. I can't see that other one because they're going, then why do I still feel so bad? Why do I still feel like there's an offense here? Why do I still feel like, you know, you can't just say, well, I'm sorry, God, forgive me, and you walk away. You just totally change our marriage for the rest of all of our lives. Grace, guys, as wonderful as it is, as wonderful as grace is, there's a tension there, and that's what he points out. He says, look, and this stone, the same stone that is a cornerstone, it is a stumbling stone to other people. Not because it's the integrity of the stone, but because of the way that people react to it. 
Bottom line, every one of us will build our lives upon something. Every one of us one day will, uh, I don't know if you ever read the little quote that I put in the bulletin, but last week it was from Lauren Chandler. And, uh, see, and, and I'm, I'm just kind of quoting off the top of my head. And you can tell there's not a lot on the top of the head anymore. <laughs> but basically she said it's good. See if you agree with this. It's good to have the foundation or I don't know what she called it kicked out from underneath us every once in a while because it tests what you really put and put your faith in. It, that's the general thing. Now, okay. It's a good thing to have the props kicked out. That's when we find out if we're building on rock or sand. Okay. And that's truth, isn't it? But do you like it? No. Somebody come kick your prop? You know, that was a very convenient prop. <laughs> my marriage was my prop. My children were my prop. My job was my prop. And all of a sudden, you get that kicked out from underneath you? And it really tests this, this, this whole theory. Okay, what, what are you building your life on? Do you have a cornerstone? Do you have something that is so weighted, so in place, that you can't move it, but it sets the, both the foundation of your life and the direction of your life? Because that's what the cornerstone does. Jesus basically told a parable about that. Jesus took very theological issues and he broke them down into simple stories so that everybody could understand. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 27. He says, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and do not build upon them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew against that house and it fell and great was its fall. Understand this. When Jesus told that today, he's dividing people into two groups. He said, basically he's saying, okay, every human that's here that's listening to me today, every human that's ever lived, you will build your house on something. And he compared those that heard the truth of the gospel, his word. That's what Peter's been doing. If you go back to chapter 1, see all that he said about his word. It's the living word. And he has equated, be very careful here, equated Christ in the word. Now, Christ is not the Word in one way, but He is the Word in another way, okay? I, we can get into the theological difficulties of that, but basically, just as John said, in the beginning was the Word. He is Christ. We see that throughout the Bible, that the Word of God and Christ, they're, they're used interchangeably, and that's what Peter has done. So he's built up, and Jesus, he said, okay, if you build your house, your life, upon my Word, you're like a wise man. Because it's a foundation. It's a cornerstone. He doesn't use the word cornerstone, but the concept is there. You've got something that is foundationally set, and it sets the direction for your life. Does sand do that? No. Again, my favorite illustration. Go build a sandcastle. 5 o'clock, 4.30, on one afternoon... Go in your condo, your beach house, your hotel, whatever. Come out the next morning. Don't be surprised if it's gone, okay? You know, the tide comes in. And I don't care how much you said, well, I use the best sand. And I use like all this. And it had little doors. And it had, I don't care if you just did a lump of, you know, a lump of sand and said, there's my sand castle. Or if you're one of those that had all these little, you know, 
things going up and flags and all that. The next day, if you build it on the sand, the tide's going to come and that's going to be gone. And basically, that's what Jesus is illustrating here. He said, look, guys, every one of you, you're going to build your lives on something. And the differentiation that he put was, did you build upon my word, the gospel, the hope that is found in me, or did you build it on something else? He didn't start listing family, this, that, and the other. He didn't say, well, these are really good things. He didn't say, these are really bad things, fame and fortune, if you just want the most. He, didn't, he just said, look, either the word of God, that is him, because remember, we see that they're, the similarities there, that they're one and the same, or not. And get this picture in your mind. There's not an idle word in the Bible. He didn't say, okay, and then some storms came, and one stood and one fell. Listen to the description that he gave. The rains, what? Fell. The floods came. Where does the flood start from the top, from the bottom? From the bottom, it starts going up. And the winds blew. Winds, for the most part, blow wet. Left to right, right to left. That pretty much, Mandy, you were saying before on that quote from last week, that pretty much is getting your, you know, the props kicked out from underneath you. Have you ever had one of those days, weeks, months? Rains came, floods came, winds came. You're going, my goodness, if I had one more thing, every direction I look, there is a trial. Every direction I look, there is something coming. And yet, look at the promise that he made, and then we'll close. Those who have built on the rock. The, he didn't say, won't have rain. Oh, it may rain a little bit, but it will be a good rain, and it will never flood, and there won't be winds. No, he said, the same exact trials come into the lives of all of humanity. And he says, the only difference between something standing and something falling is what you've built upon. You built upon the rock, this cornerstone that Peter talks about? He said, the rains are going to come, the floods are going to rise, the winds are going to blow, but it will stand. You don't, you build on the sand, rains are going to come, floods are going to rise, winds are going to blow, and a door will fall off. Is that what it says? And you might have a little bit of a sag on the left exterior of the right wing of your house. Is that what it says? What does it say? You say it. It will fail and great was its fall. Folks, this is not to scare us. This is, this is not, uh, I hate guilt and, and preaching guilt because the Bible doesn't preach guilt in that sense. This is not to guilt us in, oh, I better be really careful this week and build on the rock. No, what he's doing is just the realities of where you build. And every day, we will, every day this week, we will make this choice in practice. My prayer is that in heart and in mind, you've already made this choice. That you've already said, you know, there's no way I can walk this seven days a week, 24-7, night and day. I will mess up. There's going to be days that I just don't build my, my mind on the Word of God. I actually do something that's pretty much maybe even opposite the Word of God. And that's why we need a cornerstone, guys. Because if you can time the perfect time of your death, 
If you can time the perfect time of your return to Christ, then you can wait up to that moment and then you go, okay, I want to be good. Lord, help me. Okay? But if you're living the life that all of us, the rest of us are, have to live, where you have your ups, and hopefully you have a lot of ups, but you have some downs and some challenges. You have days when you really, you're going, I might as well have angel wings, I'm so good. And then there's other days you're going, I might as well have a horn and a pitchfork. Because what I just said was not of, of God at all. When you live the reality of that life and the complexity of that life, folks, we don't need a hope that is built on sand. We don't need something that changes in 24 hours as the tide comes in. We need a cornerstone that is set in place. And even if you try to come up and push against it, you can't push it. I love this. You can never out the hope of the gospel. Now, that's not giving us freedom to just go out there and do whatever. Kind of Paul settled that with the Corinthians and others as he would write, okay? But isn't it good to know, guys, that if you truly have placed your hope in your faith, truly have placed your hope and faith in this cornerstone, that some sin tomorrow is not going to wash away the work of Christ. I'm not saying that gives him pleasure. Again, Peter just said, I call you to be holy, I call you to grow. He's not talking for immature Christianity. What he's talking about is the security of knowing that in this up and down world where trials come to good people and to bad people, there is a rock, a cornerstone that is set in place by God himself and that we can put our faith in him. And the weak become strong, the sinful become forgiven, and those that are aliens or or that were... uh, Uh, out here outside of the family, now become the very children of the living God. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we love you. We thank you. Father, we thank you for this word this morning, Father. And uh, Father, this next week, I can't wait to get into the depth of what it means to be part of a people, a royal priesthood. But Father, I pray that this morning we would just be able to, to really ask ourselves the most important question that we will ever entertain in life. Father, where are we building our life? Where have we put all of the trust for our future? Father, thank you that you provided for us a cornerstone, Christ alone cornerstone, set in place that even as I would push against it, Father, I can't move that finished work of Christ. And now that stone sets the direction of how I'm to live as a husband, as a father, as a pastor, as a friend. Father, thank you. Father, today we put all of our hope in Christ and Christ alone. Christ, this great cornerstone. We love you and we thank you as we pray all this in the hope of that cornerstone. Jesus Christ, Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.